0: We're into our second week talking about Advent. It's actually the third Sunday of Advent, so that's why the three candles are, are lit today. So we got a, a little bit of a late start uh, on that. Last week we talked about the idea of expectation as the se- theme. Today, the theme of what we're talking about is the idea of preparation. Now let's see. Who is prepared? Who looks prepared out there? I, he- I see some people shaking their heads no, like, if he's going to call on me, please don't let it be me. Yes. Okay, let's do it this way. Has anybody finished all your Christmas shopping? Whoa. I am impressed. Okay, let's see how we can go the next step. Okay, let me just clarify. Has anybody who raised their hand finished all their Christmas shopping because they have none to do? <laughs> awesome. So that takes out two. Th- Notice those were all men. Um, Married. Men, <laughs> you might have to buy one thing, just saying i uh you're in trouble, okay, so of those of you who have finished your Christmas shopping because you actually had to buy something, have any of you wrapped all the gifts yet okay, good I feel better, I feel a little better, a little better, a little better um there we go, so it, I mean we do a lot to get ready for Christmas. You you get the house ready, you decorate, put up the tree, you have all the shopping to do. If you're like most families, there's probably some, some get togethers along the way as families spread out more. You have to maybe travel and see them or work around everybody's schedule. Certainly the, the day itself, if you're like us, you have to have a nice meal together, usually two or three, because you know, gotta eat, right? And and the like. You have a lot to do. Have you ever this is a really silly question because the answer to us here is, of course, preacher. Have you ever had a moment, not with Christmas, but sometime in your life when you realized you were not prepared for what was going to come next? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller. Yeah, good. Okay. So you knew, like, it's time and it's, I'm not ready. I'm supposed to be doing something, I'm not ready. Well, that's what we want to talk about today because the reality that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, is that God reserves the right at any minute to interrupt your life and ask you and call you to do something. That's one of the things that that God's sovereignty, that God's uh, rulership of all things means, that God as King of kings, as Lord of lords, can speak to you at any point and say, hey, I've got something for you to do. That's pretty intimidating when you think about that, that God might call you, might ask you to serve him in some way. And if there's any time or any place you want to say, I am absolutely ready for that, that might be it. But I want you to know something today. This is what we're going to talk about. One of the great messages of Advent is when God calls you. You say, Preacher, you sure this is a great message? Yes, I promise we'll get there. One of the, the, the truths I believe of Advent is when God calls you, you're never ready. Let's talk about somebody today that God used very specifically, very miraculously, and I think it's safe to say this young woman would not have said, oh yes, I was ready for what was about to happen. Her name, I think you've heard of her before, is Mary. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in Luke chapter 1 today. We're going to jump all over the place today. I promise. I'll do my best to to stay focused. Um, But Mary is one of these people in history that God set aside, called, wanted to use for a very specific thing. And we're going to see from her life the lessons we can learn that even though we can never be fully ready, that doesn't disqualify us from being uniquely used of God. In Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26 is where we're going to read. Most of these, this section of scripture we're going to throw up on the screen. We, we see Mary confronted, I guess that's as good a word as any, with what's about to happen. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Those are probably familiar scriptures to us this time of year, particularly, where we think about that miraculous event that began to unfold leading to the birth of Jesus. And Mary was, by all accounts, a rather ordinary young woman. There was obviously something extraordinary about her. In hindsight, we see that, but at the time, you would probably not have found anything remarkable about her. She was. Uh, an ordinary young woman living in an ordinary town in sort of a blue-collar part of Israel. She was, well, doing what most of us do most of our lives, doing our thing, minding our own business, trying the best she could to deal with what was before her, when into that, as much as she would describe it, orderly and settled world comes the most unsettling news of all. Now, one thing we... We know about Mary as though we say settled. There was a little bit of excitement going on in her life because she was betrothed to be married. Now, we don't use that word in our culture anymore, but if you're familiar with the the Christmas story and that culture, you know betrothal is a very serious commitment. It is really not that much different in commitment to the actual marriage itself because in that day, marriage kind of happened in two acts. The first act was what we're talking about now, this idea of betrothal. And that was where the... The intended bride and groom and primarily their parents would meet together and agree that this marriage would happen. There would be the, well, the required exchange of property and promise to go and then it was considered. And in fact, a date in the future was looked at as a possibility, not like, you know, invitations sent out necessarily. But there was decided this period of time, X number of months or so, would be the time of their betrothal. And so Mary and Joseph had entered into this time of betrothal. Now Joseph's job during this period of time was to go get ready to be married. And the primary thing he would need to do would would be was to prepare a household. The most common thing in that day and time would be for the husband to be to build some sort of addition onto his parents' home that would provide the first home for he and his bride. If that wasn't possible, they he might go off to someplace else and he might set aside a, a property and build a home. And And the period of the betrothal was that time of commitment between uh, bride and groom-to-be, but was also a period of preparation for the day of marriage. Incidentally, this is sort of off the subject and, and, in, and maybe an aside to, to us, but... One of the things that's interesting that we see in Scripture is often our relationship to God and the final consummation of that when Christ returns is often referred to as a marriage. And we talk about heaven, we often talk about the marriage supper, the marriage feast of the Lamb. That idea comes out of the traditions in Israel. In fact, we today might consider ourselves betrothed to Christ because what does he say to his disciples? John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions. We're not sure when I've told you so. And if I go and prepare a place for you, right, what's he doing? He's the, the one who's going to make the place ready. We're the bride of Christ. He's going to go prepare a place that one day he will come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is there we may be also. He tells another uh, parable story, we might say, about being prepared for that day, about these, these virgins that are part of the bridal party. And they don't know when the wedding is going to be because this period of time is sort of a period of time that's agreed upon generally but not specifically. And when the groom-to-be has finished preparing the house he goes and calls the bride and her attendants to the wedding. And it often happened in the evening, preparing for the next day, even in the middle of the night. And what's the parable? That that there were these who were going to be attendants at a wedding, and the groom comes calling for the bride. And some had oil for their lamps, and others did not. But there was no time to go get oil for their lamps, because it was time to follow the groom and the bride to the wedding. Picture of the second coming of Christ. All of this... This imagery that we see even in Mary and Joseph is a bigger picture of this thing that God shows us is our hope that we are the betrothed of God and he will one day return to call us as his bride to be with him forever. That was free. It wasn't in my notes. I hope I was close to right. Now back to the previously scheduled sermon. So this is Mary and Joseph. They're, they're in this period of time And into that period of time comes an incredible interruption. Knock, knock, it's Gabriel. And I have a little news for you, Mary. You're going to have a baby. Now, you've probably put together at some point that in this period of betrothal, though in many formal ways, legal ways, they were considered committed and married, physically they were not supposed to have that physical side of the relationship. So a baby being born would not be expected, Which is why. When the angel comes to her, Mary asks a really good question, don't you think? How can this be? For I am a virgin. Let's say that Mary or excuse me, that, that Mary's parents had had the birds and the bees talk with her, and she understood the biology, and she knew her own commitment and Joseph's commitment and she knew their their vow to wait as was expected and even required and she doesn't see how this could happen. Well, here's the first thing. When God interrupts our life and he has the right to do it whenever he does, we need to start with the understanding that no matter what he might call us to do or to be, he ultimately is able. He is able. You're never prepared It doesn't make sense. You can't figure out, how can this be? Even if you know very, well, very sincerely that God is calling you to something. And to get from that point of how can this be to verse, what is it, 38? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Is a pretty big step. Now, here's what I love. Mary asked a question. And a lot of times in In our minds of of faith, we think questions aren't allowed. But I think it's not that questions aren't allowed. It's about the intent and the motive behind the question. We could just back up in Luke chapter 1, and we see another announcement of a miraculous birth that's also met with a question. Zachariah, priest of God, married to Elizabeth, On his duty in the temple, when he received that particular lot, that that was the day he would go in to serve God in that way, he received a message that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. Exciting times, you would think, right? Well, Zechariah, not so sure. Zechariah, in verse 18, asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. And my wife is well along in years. Now, you might think, Charles, you just said questions are okay. Well, I did say that, but I said the motive is the key. We got two questions, two people given very similar news, two questioning answers, Mary is praised and remembered for it. Zechariah, for asking this kind of question, if you keep reading, the angel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So, Zechariah, given news Ask a question, punished. Mary, given news, ask a question, praised. What is the difference? I wish I could tell you A, B, C, and D. Here's my best speculation. Is that fair? Speculation okay? Looking at some things. I hope it is. I see a couple things. One, Zechariah is a priest of God. Zechariah is one who had studied the scriptures. If you go into the Old Testament, there is on more than one occasion a time when a couple that is advanced in years, as he and Elizabeth are, and had prayed for a baby, though they were barren, God answered, and there was a baby. In fact, the beginning of the nation of Israel, in many ways, starts with that story, doesn't it? Abraham and Sarah, God said, through the covenant promise, through you and your offspring, I'll bless all the world. We talked a lot about that last week. And Abraham and Sarah waited and waited nothing until finally when he was 100 and she was 90. Woohoo! here we go. Baby. Have the fun. That was how it worked. That was how it began. Zechariah had, as a priest, to know that story well. He had taught that story. He had memorized the details. It's not unusual. That wasn't the only time. A barren mother was given a son of promise in response to the word of God. You can see that several times in the Old Testament. On the Old Testament, and here Zechariah before God questions, but in a way that betrays something of his motive. I think in a way that betrays a little bit of not necessarily doubt, but beyond that to unbelief. See, there's a difference between a question asked on the way to obedience and a question that begins to make an excuse for disobedience. Mary, I think, was the former category. How can this be for I am a virgin? I don't understand God. Usually when God shows up and has an assignment for you, there's a lot of, I don't understand God. I don't know how this is going to happen. The specifics don't make sense to me. But she went very quickly from that, to may it be to me, as the Lord has said. So, betrayed in her motive was a dependence on a God who is able, in spite, in her case, of the physiological impossibility of what she thought was to happen. Zechariah, maybe like some of us, had prayed, I would imagine, for a long time to have a child. In that culture, to have a child, particularly a son, would be Almost necessary. It was the way the name and the family was passed on. It was considered, not dishonor, but not exactly a great thing to be barren, to not have that male heir. Zachariah, I'm sure with Elizabeth, had prayed and probably lost sleep and wept over this reality. And when the moment comes when God finally answers, his his response to God is, yeah, really? I mean, come on, God. You're not going to get my hopes up again, are you? I've been asking for this a long time. Have you been there? I've been there. Like you've prayed for something, you've hoped for something, you've wanted something, and the moment comes when you begin to see maybe the light, and you say, uh, I don't know, maybe not God. You kind of brace yourself, you kind of back off. Like that thing that you've wanted, when it might happen, you don't embrace it, you take a step or five back just to prepare your heart for the inevitable disappointment that you've already prepared yourself, is going to come again. Now, only God knows our heart, I understand that, and I'm reading between a lot of lines, but I think there is obviously some difference between these two responses that one would be praised and remembered and the other would be punished by a God. And I, and all I can, can, can sense in there is that when God asked her, Mary believed that he was able to do it. And when God asked, appeared to Zechariah something of him couldn't quite make that step. Now, the great news is, even through his negative, John was still born. God's purposes still prevailed. He used, thank God that he does, a broken, fallible, even doubting person to accomplish his purposes. And, and I know that we live in a world where doubt's sort of credibility. Have, have you noticed that, particularly among Christian circles? Like, there's a sense that used to be, as a phrase you may have heard, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. There's actually, like a, I think, a gospel song that I will not hum a few bars for you for today. But God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Then I, I heard a few years after that, I don't like that song because this is how it should go. God said it, that settles it. That sounds better, right? But in our culture, there's this sense that, that you're to be admired for your questions. You're to be admired when you say, Yes, I believe, but I sure have a lot of questions. I can't wait to ask God when I get there. Probably said that a few times. Yes, I believe, but as I think about it, there are some problems here and there. True. Here, here's a phrase for you. Here a verse for you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what I would love? I would love if every doubt I had, God would like send me an email, snail mail, Skywrite the answer. One of those three. I'm not asking, that's not, you know, if, he, if, he, if he's busy, quick email will do. Even a text. Just whatever. Communicate to me. It's okay, Charlie. I got you on this. Oops. Anyway, I just that would be nice, but that's not how he works. That's not how faith works, because faith, by its definition, has some room, as as I understand it, where things don't always make sense. Do you understand? This is my view. Do you understand how much doesn't make sense in Christianity? We we believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't happen. I mean, we try as best we can to come up with analogies, and they're all limited, and they all fall apart at some point. You know, some people say the Trinity. Oh, well, that's like the three uh, states of, of, of matter, of water, liquid, solid, gas. It's all water. They're just expressed differently. Or, or it's like, you know, I'm the son to my parents. I'm the husband to my wife. I'm the parent, i got to get this right, parents to my kids, that's how it's, I got those right. So I'm the same person, but three. And, and then you go, but yeah, okay, that sounds good. But look, at one point, I read the Bible, and Jesus is praying to the Father, and Jesus is physically here, and the Father's there. How does that work? You know, if you're caught talking to yourself, they send you to the, to the, to the, to the room with the pads. That seem you know, how does, I don't know how that works. I can't explain to you how that works. Lots of really smart people in history have come up with all sorts of answers to that question. All of them are inadequate. Maybe helpful, but ultimately inadequate because it doesn't make logical sense because we are finite, limited human beings in our, in our brain power, in our, the power of our language, in everything that we are, and God is infinite. It just doesn't... Always have to add up. And faith is that room between what makes sense to me and what God says is true. And somewhere I have to choose a side. And the more I choose, well, this makes logical sense to me, the more I sound like Zechariah. How can I be sure of this? And the more I choose the things that God says and I just have to take it faith, the more I sound like Mary. How can this be? But may it be to me as you have said. It's a subtle difference. There's no hard and fast ways to understand it, but it is the key difference, and it, I think, in many ways boils down to the fact that Mary was willing to say, though I can't find a way out, I believe God is able, and if he has somehow invited me into whatever is to come, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe that it will be to me, as he has said. So, so, though God has the right to interrupt, when he interrupts, we need to be ready, we need to be prepared, and we need to have that kind of foundational bedrock God is able. There's nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing he can ask of me to do that he is not going to provide the ability to accomplish, even if it means a miraculous intervention, as God explained, would happen with Mary. And Mary got it because she went on, and she gives us this long, we call it Mary's Magnificat. Well, we don't as Baptists, but other people do. I don't know what we call it. What's the NIV call it? Does it have a Mary's song? That sounds very Baptistic, doesn't it? Very Protestant. Magnificat sounds, you know, a little little Latin and and more liturgical. We call it Mary's song, but but that's what she does. And, And she you know what the theme of her song might be described as? Not only is God is able, which caused her to believe, the theme of her song is God is glorious. God is miraculous. God is more than I can imagine. Notice. Just, just, I'm just going to read through this. It's not on the screens, but you can just listen along. Ver, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Is glorious and I will trust him. He is able, and ultimately, this is for his glory. Mary decides that the motive for all that he has called her to do and all that will go forward is the glory of God. That's a pretty good motive. That's a pretty big motive. That's That's something you can kind of get your hands onto that there is a God who is bigger than you are there is a God who is stronger than you are there is a God who knows more than you do and somehow that God would invite you to be a part of what he's doing in history maybe not to the degree we think that Mary got invited but somewhere he invites you to be a part of what he wants to do in history and if your motive is the glory of God it spurs you on a little bit more anybody have kids dumb question right do you like it When your kids do well do you do things as parents like science fair projects to hopefully I didn't say that out loud today no like science fair projects to make sure they do well and look good when you go to the science fair and your child has that ribbon on their project do you smile a little brighter do you stand close so all the other parents can tell you how great your child is do you do you do you We do, don't we? Because our kids are awesome, right? Well, that was weak. <laughs> our kids are awesome, right? Yeah. Yes. And anybody who doesn't know that? Oh, God is more awesome than your kids. God is glorious. That is his, his glory, is what ultimately we can look to, and our lives can somehow reflect this glory and if in our decision making process we have this bedrock of god is able and try to build on it what how can i act in ways that magnify the glory of god in the way that mary did in that beautiful song it's it, it's something that is worthwhile it's something it's a way that informs our decision making that makes sense you want me to give you the worst advice ever if anybody ever gives you this advice advice run away It's popular advice. Are you ready? You're in a difficult situation. You're not sure what to do, and somebody says, just follow your heart. Run away. (laughs) Say, no, thank you. I've met me. (laughs) Right? Now, there is this, this undercurrent in our world that wants to tell you, Human beings are inherently wonderful creations, wonderful critters. We're good critters. We, we ultimately want what's best, right? No, not so much. Back to those kiddos again, right? You know, like, it, you have like let's say you have some young ones. We're talking about preschoolers. I know we have a few people here with preschoolers do your preschoolers always act in the best interest of their sibling or themselves? Like your three-year-old sees one cookie left, and there's him or her and that four-year-old sibling. What do they do? Now, every once in a while, they'll do something amazing, right? I mean, I'm sure some of you are thinking that story right now because we want glory to our kids. We talked about that earlier. But there are times... When the three-year-old like palms the cookie, there's no cookie Ah, uh, I don't know where it went with the crumbs. Right? You've been there? I, I've met me. It doesn't stop at three. And, and this idea that, that really all of us are good to our core. Let me tell you, it contradicts what Scripture says. Scripture says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And when we're told to follow our heart, we're told to follow something that is deceitful and desperately wicked. Good advice? Mm, Maybe not. But that's the undercurrent that we're up against. And and instead, Mary and those who are like her, who have their lives interrupted and understand that God is able, sometimes have to make decisions that don't follow their heart, but pursue the glory of God. This decision, this process that Mary was about to undergo, would come at great risk to her. Physiologically, the risk of pregnancy and childbirth was there especially in her day the the infant mortality rate the things that that were going physiologically that would be a risk but but relationally to say to god may it be to me exactly as you have said requires some risk because joseph is going to find out eventually he's going to notice and when he does that's going to be an awkward conversation Eventually, her parents are going to notice. And let me tell you, when you say, when your parents say to you, um, "Mary, what happened?" and you say it's the Holy Spirit, they're probably not going to buy it. The community is going to notice. And when they notice socially, she's got at great risk. You know, worst case scenario. In many ways, I don't know if it's will say bad case scenario. I mean, that's worse than the worst. Joseph is going to say, it's over, forget it. You have betrayed me, and I'm not going to go through with this. In fact, he was considering that. He wasn't going to do it publicly, he was going to do it quietly, because he knows that there's also the possibility that she could be stoned, killed for her indiscretion. That would be equivalent to adultery in the betrothal period. There's a lot. risk in doing that. And if you were to say to Mary after she came and told you, well, just follow your heart, that's probably not, okay, let me go through with it. My heart says, I would rather not die. I would rather not be stoned to death. I would rather not have my potential marriage be called off. I would rather not nobody ever talk to me. I'd rather not my parents doubt me. I'd rather not on and on and on and on. And so the decision-making process is somewhere between our heart self-preservation and the glory of God, and she chose the glory of God. God allowed this to happen, and here's kind of the final thing, and here's not only do we have to believe God is able, not only do we have to believe he is glorious, we have to believe he'll look after us. In each of those steps, Mary had to believe somehow God wasn't going to let her down. Maybe I'm just the sacrificial pawn in this big plan. Maybe I'm imagining things maybe ah maybe 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 on and on it goes notice in that that magnificat we just read verse 50 what does she say his mercy extends to those who fear him god's mercy extends to those even who aren't perfect that's what what mercy sort of is is when somebody deserves one thing mercy says no i'm not going to give that to you when we deserve god to turn his back on us when we deserve by our sin to be ignored and abandoned by God, he still sends Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy in Acts. And notice it's it's this idea of how how long it extends from generation to generation. Verse 50, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You know, sometimes when you follow the glory of God, people don't go, good for you. They go, what are you crazy? You believe that stuff? Really? You're going to do that? And it's good to know that God says, I got you on this. Those who come against you, I can scatter. Verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. God will look after us. How do we know God looked after Mary? Luke chapter 2, right? I mean, maybe not in the way she might have liked, Maybe not like first-class accommodations, sanitary birthing suite, doctor and midwife and all the trappings. No, in a different city than her home, where all that I'm sure she had stockpiled to prepare for that moment was, where her mother was. Ladies, is it nice to have mommy close by? She travels with this sort of Okay, now we're together and we're just going to figure this out in spite of the awkwardness of the last period of time in our betrothal. They travel uh, in a very rudimentary fashion a long way because of that whole, hey, you got to pay your taxes thing. And they get to where they're going, and because everybody had to pay their taxes, there's no place for them, there's no home that will open and give them a room, and so they're stuck out in a stable with a manger as the birthing suite. And yet, Jesus is born. Now, none of those things that I just described sound like preparation, do they? They said, that was your theme today. Yeah, yeah. But, but again, I also said, you can never really be prepared for what God might do. But if you believe He is able, and you trust it's for His glory, and you know that He'll look after you, the result will be the same as Mary's. Jesus will come into the situation. Jesus will show up. In your life as you live that way, as you make decisions that way, as you follow him, the outcome is somehow Jesus will be present. Jesus will make himself known. Jesus will be there. People will even notice. I believe. That your faithfulness, your commitment to the glory of God, your belief in his ability and his his comfort and his strength will ultimately be that which allows this Savior to be better known in the circles in which you run. Yes, Christmas, we look back and we remember that moment in that moment in history where in a manger a baby was born. And yeah, we sanitize things, and we, we pretty it up a bit. I mean, you know, we go over here, we've got the, the porcelain with the gold in here. I guess that's porcelain. We have a crystal one in our house. You probably have all sorts of nativity scenes. They're all nice, aren't they? There's no, we don't say, you know what? You know what this needs to be realistic? A little cow dung. That's what we need. <laughs> Let's make this authentic. No, we don't do that. We kind of dress it up. We kind of clean it up, kind of sanitize it. And we wish as we think forward about our lives that God would do the same thing for that. But you know sometimes when Jesus shows up, he shows up in messy places. Sometimes my life is that messy place that I need him to show up in. Sometimes it's your life. The life of your family, the life of your friends, the life at work, wherever those are. But but ultimately... I'm thrilled that Jesus isn't deterred by the messiness of my life or the messiness of the place I want to bring him. Because it wasn't long after that that there were those shepherds. You heard about them, right? Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. When the angel appeared and said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We sang a few minutes ago the song. Suddenly with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host. And what did they sing? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Man. But who are the shepherds? Aren't they the messy people? They got the front row seat. It's when God showed up. You know, I'm glad that God still chooses to use us as messy or broken as we are. I'm glad that Jesus came and by his life and death and resurrection provides the fix to my messiness. And I'm glad that he is still active in our world today using we who are broken to bring glory to him who is glorious. And so I hope this Advent and Christmas season that as you make all the preparations that you'll continue to do over the next few weeks, as you make sure all the details are taken care of. You will also leave enough room for Christ himself, should he choose to, to interrupt. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are a God who entered history in the person of your son, Jesus. And I thank you that even as we look And remember that account, even as we we think about the, the details of the whys and the hows, we realize, I realize it's not the way I would have done it. Were I in charge of that moment, it would have been much different. But Father, you and your wisdom fulfilled your promises in your son. And you still today, by your mercy and by your grace, invite us to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And you use us to further the message of Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and even around the world. Father, may we be the kind of people who are prepared, not because we've crossed every T and dotted every I, but because, Father, we have an assurance that you are able, no matter what you might call us to do. And we know ultimately that which is for your glory is for our good. And that you will see through the things that you call us into. Make us that kind of a people. So that wherever we go, we might see Jesus enter. Jesus have the freedom to make that appearance. God, we come to this moment that we call our our invitation, our time of response. And I ask that in these moments, God, if there is someone here who needs to place their faith in the God who entered history and the God who died on the cross for our sins and the God who was resurrected and who invites all who will call upon his name to be saved, that today they'll recognize their need for a savior. They'll, They'll turn and repent of their sin. And they'll turn to you in faith and find hope and salvation. Lord, we give you these moments of our service and pray in Christ's name. Amen.